Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, now he's focusing on murder, and he's not looking at the stone in the hand of the person who's going to murder another person, he's looking at the anger in the heart that goes before the murder. And so he takes the people back to think about the first murder, which was in Genesis 4.3. Genesis 4.3, this is the murder where Cain murdered his brother Abel when it says, very interesting how it puts that, he says in Genesis 4.3, it says, in the process of time came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, he was angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, you're going to obey that anger. And thou shalt rule over him. In other words, get a grip. And Cain took, talked to, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So here's Abel. He's a shepherd. He brings what God wanted, which was a blood sacrifice. He had the sheep. But Cain was a farmer, and he brought what he had, which was his harvest, and the problem was that the Lord made it clear that he wanted a blood sacrifice, and so God was happy with Abel's offering, but he wasn't happy. And that made Cain mad. And the record says that he was very wroth. And that anger resulted in envy. And from that envy comes the murder. And this is what John 3, 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 11 is pointing out when it talks about this passage about Cain and Abel. In 1 John 3, 11, it says, for this is a message that you heard from the beginning we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. He was jealous. He was envious. And so God called out to Cain, warned him, Cain, you're in a very dangerous situation right now. You've got anger in your heart. Get a grip and rule over that anger. Because he said in John, Genesis 4-7, Genesis 4-7, sin's lying at your door, the door of your heart. Sin's right there. And unto thee shall be a desire. You're gonna do what that sin wants you to do. And thou shalt rule over him. Get a grip. So that was Cain's last chance to respond to God, to renounce the anger that was in his heart. And now the same person, Jehovah Jesus, who warned Cain is now standing here on the Mount of the Sermon and he's speaking about the danger of anger, just like he spoke to Cain about the danger of anger. And that anger in Cain 
wasn't seen except for his face fell. His face didn't look, he was mad on his face. And so Cain could have done a really good job at hiding that anger inside. So man couldn't see it, but he couldn't hide it from God. Couldn't hide it from God. And God saw Cain's anger. And so what does God do with us? He looks in our heart. He sees our heart. God sees our heart. He says, he says about our hearts later on in Matthew 7, 11, Matthew 7, verse 11. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them? I mean, so you read that verse and say, wait a second, did he just call me evil? He did. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto you, he says our hearts are evil. And so that's what people say, you know, oh, you know, just look into your heart and look within yourself, you know. And Paul did that, and it was very disturbing for Paul what he saw. In Romans 7.24, Romans 7.24, as Paul says, look, I looked in my heart, this is what I saw. I saw Romans 7.24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Now, Paul's talking about the wickedness that he saw when he looked at his own heart, and the Lord said, that's what you're going to find. When you look within yourself, he says in Mark 7.20, Mark 7.20, he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, lasciviousness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. The reason that the people were astonished at his doctrine, because he talked about what was in the heart of man. And as far as the scribes and Pharisees, they would say, who cares? And now the Lord Jesus, in his teaching, he loves to use plants and plant life to illustrate some aspect of his teaching. You know, that was the big point about the parable of the sower and the seed and the different types of ground that the plant seed encounters, and it illustrates the different type of people and their response to the Word of God. So here again, now the Lord is alluding to plants, and he says in Mark 7.20, Mark 7.20, he uses these terms, that which cometh out of the man. In Mark 7.21, for from within... Out of the heart of men, proceed. And then Mark 7, 23, all these evil things come from within. So all these statements, all these words coming out, things that are coming from within, they're all pointing to the root of a plant that's responsible for what comes to the surface of the soil. You know, we all struggle with weeds. We've all used the weed whacker, you know, to cut the weeds down from the surface only to see the weed come up again because the only way you can get rid of it is to dig out the root. You know, you've heard somebody say something you shouldn't say, and then someone else said, where did that come from? It came from where the Lord said. It came from the evil heart. It comes from the heart. So the Lord here is focused. He's focused on the heart. He's pointing to the heart of man, and he's saying the heart's the root. The actions are the fruit. They stem out of the root. And he calls the, what comes out of the men's hearts evil thoughts, evil things. So are the words he's using. He's not just talking about some people. Some people have evil thoughts. Some people have evil things. No, he's speaking about all people when he makes a statement in Mark 7, 21. Mark 7, 21, out of the heart of men. Not just some men, all men. So the Lord concludes that all men have these evil hearts, and in order to get to heaven, it's not going to work because it says in Psalm 24, 3, Psalm 24, 3, who 
shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Talking about heaven. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So the only person who's going to ascend to heaven, the only person who's going to end up standing there in heaven is a person with a clean heart, a pure heart. But the Lord has just said that the heart of man is evil and not clean. And so man needs a clean heart. And the problem is man cannot clean his own heart. That's what Proverbs 20 verse 9 says. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my own sin. So the obvious answer is that no one can make his own heart clean and no one can purify himself from his own sin. This is why it's so true. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the Lord can clean the heart of man. This is what David said in Psalm 51.10 after his terrible sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He said in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, O God. Which is why there's one prayer that we should be using all the time, constantly, very simple prayer. Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, cleanse my heart. So when the Lord said that when a person is angry and says, thou fool or rock, or put it in our terms, you idiot, that he was saying is you're in judgment of hellfire. And the Lord's saying that everyone's done that one time in their lives. And he's centering on these, he's starting off on murder, and then he's gonna go right to the next one at the top of the list, which is adultery. That's what he was covering in Mark 7, 21, the evil things that come out of the heart, fornication, adultery, murder. And so here we are, and he's addressing now Real specific now, he says in verse 22, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger. The counsel, whosoever say the fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, it's interesting, the word Raka, it comes from the Hebrew word Reitzah, Reitzah. Reitzah means to spit. That's what it means. So what Raka means is when a person is called Raka, in essence, a person is saying to them, I spit on you, I spit on you. Now, to spit on a person is like the ultimate expression of despising a person. The Lord was described in, in Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed it not. So this is the big emphasis in Isaiah 53.3, is that how much he was despised twice. In that verse, it says he was despised. And the expression of how he was despised is in Isaiah 50, verse 6, Isaiah 50, verse 6, when he says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So he's going to come to experience what he's talking about here, is raka, the spitting in the face, spitting his face. First, Israel expressed how they despised the Lord by spitting in his face when it says in Matthew 26, 64, Matthew 26, 64, Jesus saith unto them, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest ran his clothes and saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face. 
It says, and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. So when Israel spit in his face, that showed how much they despised and rejected the Lord Jesus. But it wasn't only Israel that spit in his face. Because it says in Matthew 27, 27, Matthew 27, 27, then the soldiers of the governor, that'd be the Roman soldiers, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of the soldiers. They stripped him, they put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, reed in his right hand, they bowed the knee before him, mocked him, saying, hey, hail king of the Jews, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. So it was also the Roman soldiers that spit on the Lord, and that represented the Gentile world that despised and rejected the Lord. It reminds me of the first time when I, in the old city of Jerusalem, a long time ago, I was walking in the old city of Jerusalem, and I was just sort of sitting there watching what was going on there. And there was a car that was parked there, and it had an Israeli license plate on it. And I watched as this Arab man walked up the car and he looked down at the, era, at the Israeli license plate, and then he did this huge spit on the windshield of the car. It was, and, and the look on his face was such anger on his face, and all I could think was, I think I've got to get out of this place. So when the Jewish leaders heard that the common people were following the Lord Jesus, that he was getting a following, they despised the people. And they said about the people in John 7, 49, John 7, 49, this people that knoweth not the law are cursed. It's talking about their own people, their own students. So when a person despises another, it's really because of one thing. It's because of pride. Pride is at the source of this despising. That's why it says in Proverbs 21, 24, Proverbs 21, 24, proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath, proud wrath. All right, then he goes on and he says in verse 22, when a person calls another person, you fool, thou fool, he's in danger of hellfire. What is he saying when a person says thou fool? He's saying what Proverbs 14.1 saying, Proverbs 14.1, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So he really says you don't believe in God. And just to make the point, the Lord did not say in verse 22 that whosoever is angry with another person the Lord said that whosoever is angry with his brother, the word brother really turns with an effort to get the people to turn away from angry because that's my brother. That's my brother. See, the farther a person is away from you, the easier it is to hate, but the closer it's a little difficult. That's why during World War II, when the U.S. went to war with Germany, there was a problem because many Americans came from German ancestry. So the Germans were kind of seen as a little close to Americans. So there was an effort on the Americans to distance the Germans from the Americans. So they came up with these terms, like they called Germans, they called them krauts, because they like sauerkraut, and we don't need so much sauerkraut. Or, or they call them jerrys for Germans, or heinies. And it was all designed to get the Americans to see the Germans this is not close to them so they could, you know, fight them. On the other hand, if hatred does creep into the heart for a brother, then it's a really bad, fierce hatred, and that's why the worst and bloodiest war that the U.S. ever fought was the Civil War, where a brother was against brother. And this is Cain, Cain slaying his brother Abel. Esau, Esau hated his brother Jacob, and he said in Genesis 27:41, we've seen this, Genesis 27:41, Esau hated his brother because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days 
of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So he was looking forward to the death of his father Jacob so he can get him out of the way so he could go ahead and kill his brother. That's what anger does. Now the Lord speaks about what happens to a person when they're bringing their gift to the altar in verse 23, and he says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remember so thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, why would a person remember some conflict with his brother when he comes to the altar with a gift for God? The reason he remembers it is because God's involved in this. God is for us. He wants to see us get right. He wants to see us reconcile so with others we have a conflict with. And, and the closer a person gets to God, like approaching the altar, and they bring God, the, the more the person will be reminded of his sin because that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. It says in, in John 16, 7, John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. So God is especially interested in us being able to come to him with nothing between our soul and the Savior. And that's why when you look at the command, the injunction, or the ordinance of the Lord's table, which we're going to do today as a, as a chapel, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, he goes on, he says, I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he break it, said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood, this do you, as often as you drink in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. And then he says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then he goes on and he says, for this cause, many are sickly among you, many sleep. There is a necessary preparation before coming to the Lord's table for communion, and it is, let a man examine himself. It's really easy to read those verses and, and stress out over them and to say, well, <laughs> I'm coming to the Lord's table, and whether or not I've got sins confessed or not, I might die or get really sick. I don't think I want to come to the Lord's table. I'll go some other place. I'll have lunch instead. See, but the Lord said that in verse 23, Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if I bring thy gift to the altar and remembrance that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, that's an encouragement for us, not to stress out or be anxious, because that shows us that when we come to the Lord's table, that the Lord himself will remind us about the sins that need to be dealt with before coming. And then we come to the Lord's table for communion, and he wants, and when we do that, as we're getting close to it, the Lord wants us to feel personal guilt, because a person is not just remembering on his own who he's angry with, but the Holy Spirit is convicting a person of that uh, before he comes to the Lord's table. Now, of course, it's possible for a person to harden his heart, to say, that has nothing to do with me, and refuse to be reminded of the conflict between himself and another person. But the Lord says, no, you have to, in verse 24, Matthew 5, 24, he says, no, look, no, no, no. First be reconciled to thy brother. Then come. It shows the importance of reconciliation because anger stands in the way of being able to come to God. It's more important to be able to come to God than it is to harbor some grudge against another person because when it comes to harboring anger, the person is sitting at the junction of two roads, 
One road is marked anger, and the other road is marked friendship with God or fellowship with God. And a person can go down only one road. He's got to make a choice. He's going to go down the road of anger. He's going to go down the road of friendship with God. And if he chooses the friendship with God, then there's, there can be no room for anger and vice versa. You know, what do we do on Sunday? So let's just take Sunday, for example. Today, for example, you know, we scurry around and try to get everybody ready to come to church, prepare ourselves for coming to church. You know what's interesting is that there was a custom in the early church that a family did to prepare themselves. This was a custom in the early church that before a family came to church for the Lord's table, each person in the family thought about if they had wronged each other, and they asked forgiveness from each other before they came to church. (laughs) What would that be like today? I don't think people would show up. They'd be confessing. No. (laughs) That's what they did before they came to church for the Lord's table, and that would be wonderful. And so anyway, so the Lord knew that when we looked into our hearts to see, you know, are we angry with any another person, you know, that our evil hearts would have the tendency to just gloss over and says, I'm not angry with anybody, I'm good. And the Lord knew that we'd do that. So he didn't say in verse 23 that there you remember if you are angry with your brother. Instead, the Lord said in verse 23, there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. So the Lord says, look, the way to tell if you're angry with somebody is not, well, let's see, am I angry with anybody? No, the way to tell if you're angry with somebody is to say, let's see, is anyone angry with me? Oh, that changes everything. And we tend to look at others who are angry with us. We tend to say, that's their problem. Okay, that's their problem. They shouldn't be angry with me. I didn't do anything wrong to them. That's their problem. They need to deal with it. And that's why people say things like, I'm sorry if I offended you. (laughs) That always gets to me. I'm sorry if I offended you. You know, that statement is really saying, I really did nothing to offend you. And if you are offended by me, that's your problem because you're just too sensitive, that's all. Your problem is that you get offended over nothing. And I'm sorry if you got offended over nothing. So that's why the Lord, the Lord, he started with this warning in verse 22. He says, whosoever is angry with his brother, he's talking about a person who's angry. The subject is being angry with your brother. And then he's still on this subject of being angry with your brother when he says in the next verse, verse 23, that if thou bring thy gift to the altar, rememberest that thy brother hath ought against you. Well, that sure hurts, put it that way, to be blocked from coming to God because someone's mad at me. Whoa. So this is strong criteria here, very strong. And this is what Paul said that he was working on for all of his life. He said this is a never-ending battle for me. He says in Acts 24, 16, Acts 24, 16, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward man. So when Paul used the term always, as in I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men, that means it's a constant battle for us to have this conscious that's void of offense toward God and man. And in our lives, we end up with this conscience that has offense toward God and men. What else can you expect from evil hearts? And when we have a conscience of offense toward God, we go to God and we ask him to forgive, and we use that prayer, Lord, cleanse my heart. And when we do that, then we sit back and we rely on the promise of Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14, which says, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit 
offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You can't go on and serve the living God unless your conscience is purged. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 